Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. in the back, all that happened today, hallelujah, we don't uh, take it for granted, we want God's approval, to put the words in the mouth, hallelujah, of all the studying that has taken place, and we just can't launch out by ourselves, we need God to help us, and I know we will, so let's pray, Father, we love you, we thank you, we thank you for what this holy word is, it is the nourishment to our soul, Lord God, in this direction and the guidance that we need as we wander through this life, we don't have to wander aimlessly, God. I know it is the roadmap of which we need. Touch us, anoint us, Lord God. Give us the strength and anointing that we, that we need, God, of those that we meet, Lord God, that we can offer words of encouragement and hope, Lord God. For it is in you that we seek, Lord Jesus. Touch us, anoint us, strengthen us, Lord God. Open our minds and our hearts to be focused on you and on you only, God, I pray throughout this day in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. This month, the lesson is um, the title of, the, of the, the group is When Jesus Prayed. And I've been told um, before, if Jesus was God, why did he need to pray? And that has been spoken to me in a negative sense. But I have said back, that which you speak in a negative, we can use for a positive. Because if there's ever a verse in the Bible that is our strongest point, it's when Jesus prayed. Because the way I would look at it, if Jesus in his flesh needed to pray, then where do I stand? Because everything Jesus did was for an example to us. Because here's Jesus in his flesh. He is praying to the Spirit, which he is God, manifested in the flesh. He's not doing it for himself. He's doing it to leave an example to the followers like us and his disciples that was going to teach others. And the title is, When Jesus Prayed. Today's lesson is, After Being Rejected. And so this is something that every single one of us can relate to and that is rejection it is something that is life is gonna is gonna hand us whether we want it or not we're just going to be rejected and sometimes we can take it easier than others um, you know as man as men rather we think we can do everything and you know nothing bothers me I'm tough I can take it but um, you know at times it hurts and that's not making us soft it's just saying that within my flesh, I want to give you the impression, hey, nothing bothers me. 
But when I'm alone, just me and God, I like to say, take this hurt away from me. And that's just being real. You know, rejection hurts, and we're just going to be rejected. We're, we're just sometimes it's going to be with a, a, a just a, a polite, and sometimes it's going to be in your face, told how stupid you are, and just pardon me for putting it like that. You're just going to experience rejection. And just one humorous thing, um, I'll just speak of myself and then try not to speak of myself no more. But this was probably in about mm, second, third grade, speaking of me. And so there was, I don't even know how to phrase it. You know, you would call it going steady, having a boyfriend, girlfriend. And all this consisted of was that when the teacher got you up to walk somewhere, you got to stand beside the girl. That's what we called it. You know, you was their uh, boyfriend and girlfriend. So I had this girl and me and her was an item that I got to stand beside her. So then a um, few days went on. So she's telling me um, that there's this other girl she wants me to stand beside. So there's this, uh, one of my little buddies is telling me, I guess he was a little bit more wiser than I was to the dating scene. So he's telling me, wait a minute, Ken, you're standing beside her and she's telling you that she wants you to stand beside another girl. Dude, you've been kicked to the curb. <laughs> and I just didn't get it, you know. And so we're going to face rejection, some a little bit more early than others, but we're going to face rejection. The thing of it is, it's just how are we going to handle it? You know, when we do face rejection, and that's what sort of the story is about today. After we face rejection, ever what it may be, and I'm not just speaking spiritually, whether it's any facet in our life that rejection come to it, comes to us, how are we going to face it? You know, we must pray. We must pray to seek a godly perspective of what just happened to us. There again, like I say, you can't just say, well, you know what? I got this. You know, you can tell yourself all that you want. We're just flesh and blood. You know, and, and, and somebody can chew you up and spit you, and spit you out and so what? Okay. Just keep thinking that. Just keep thinking that. And it'll catch you. Now, let's read our text. If you want to, just read on the screen or open your Bible to Matthew 11. And it goes from Matthew 11. Uh, we'll start at 20. Now, I will say this before I start reading this. These are some of the harshest words that our Lord ever spoke. And this is to those cities where the Lord dwelt. He went in. He did miracles. They experienced the Lord. He dwelt there a long time. And this is what, and they did not repent. And this is what God himself is letting them know what he thought about it. And I would say it like this. If I think that I can just come to church and float along with the church, God's going to give me my answer right now. So listen to his words, not mine. 
Listen to the attitude and the speech of God himself. Verse 20, St. Matthew verse, uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 20. Then he began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Now, Jesus spent most of his time in these cities that we're fixing to read about, doing mighty works. They seen him. Literally, they was, would be able to reach out and touch him. He was so close. They witnessed this with their eyes. They're not in a city. You know what I heard about the Lord just raising somebody from the dead? No, they seen it with their own eyes. They was eyewitness to his majesty. 21, woe unto thee, woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which was done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. I'm telling you, God is telling them straight up, straight up. What that means is I'm going to show them more mercy than I'm going to show to you. They would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. They would have really been sorry for their sins. But I did this in your presence and you wouldn't even repent. Okay, 23. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, thou shalt be brought down to hell for if the mighty works which has been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Here again, he, he says it again. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now he's comparing Capernaum, which has exalted itself. Oh, we're so good. The Lord was among us. Surely we're all right. And God said, I tell you what, Sodom. Now we know how gross they was. And God said, I'm going to show them mercy that I won't even give to you because you would not repent. That's why I'm saying I'm fooling myself. If I think I can come and all of this is from the premise is they rejected God and he's not taking it too good. Because they was in his presence. It is not that they heard it. I repeat myself. They was eyewitnesses. And God is not taking it too good. So he takes some of the most gross cities they are. And he says, you know what? And, and here again, I'm going to just jump out on a limb. You can believe what you want. I believe there will be different levels of degrees of judgment in hell. Because I believe God is saying, I'm going to show them, I'm going to give them a lesser punishment in hell than I give to you. It's going to be more tolerable for them than for you. You heard me day in and day out for three years. I walked among you and you would do nothing to change your ways. I believe it. 25, at the time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. Here I am walking among these cities. They think they are so good because they have me 
in their presence. Because I'm there. As we would say, I'll bring it up to us. I come to church. I feel God's presence. God's wooing with me to change something in my life. When I go home, I felt God's presence. But God is saying, no, you need to change. And I, and I just go to the wall and stop. And God said, that's not good enough. I dealt with you. I gave myself to you. But you would not go beyond that line. And I'm fooling myself to go home and say, I felt the goosebumps. I felt God. But yet I wouldn't move. And they saying, because God was in our presence, we seen the witnesses of what he done. And God said, that's not good enough. I'm going to show the most wicked sinners on earth more, more mercy than I'll show to you. Rejection. We're fooling ourselves. We're fooling ourselves if we think we can play with God when he's dealing with us. When it comes to rejection, God is just letting us know he is not going to take it well. So therefore, when it comes to us, we have to be very careful when somebody has wounded us because we see the attitude that God takes. So therefore, that's what this lesson is today. When he did this, I mean, he walked among these people. Countless times they, they seen this. They, they became literally front row spectators of what God was doing in their midst. They witnessed this. They seen what God has done. In Bethsaida, that's where God fed the multitude. And perhaps, you know, God is thinking he, he had mercy and compassion. The multitude was there. They had been following him. He wanted to feed them. He fed them, literally. They're standing there, the ones closest to him. We speak of the disciples, but they had to be more than disciples watching the fish and the loaves grow in the master's hands. But God is thinking, this is not just about filling your stomach. This is about filling your soul. And they're just thinking when they was all finished and full, well, it's time to go home. God is saying, no. No, you came only for the fishes and the loaves. I want to do more than that. I want to feel your soul, just not your gut. I want to feel you. I want to feel your mind with peace and understanding. Just don't go home for today and tomorrow you're hungry. He said, if you would partake of me, I'll give you peace tonight and you'll wake up with peace tomorrow. You won't be worrying tomorrow about what's going on. God said, I will give you something that will last longer than a few hours in your stomach rumbling again. I want to be fed again. God said, no, it's not just about the food that you're going to partake of right now. I want to do more. And he hoped this. Capernaum is where the lame man, where they took and they ripped the roof off of the house and let him down in there. But did you know in Capernaum we have no record of where anyone repented in that city? They go literally, they tear the man's roof off, let the man down. But yet there's no record in the Bible of where anyone repented in that city. I mean, literally, why would you go to that extent? I mean, literally, and do that. No record, no record, no record. Many scholars, these three cities, these three cities, they look at this as the uh, evangelical triangle of where the Lord spent most of his time ministering, ministering in these cities. And yet, he was the most rejected here. 
in these cities. So that just lets us know, go do all you can. And when somebody rejects you, do not, do not take it personal. Go to your Bible and read it. Read how God was rejected. If you start taking things personal, you won't start calling yourself a world of hurt. Because God himself, we go to God and his word to put salve on our soul. Because God, is just, it is just happening. And then he just, he goes to these. And can you imagine, uh, this is where he is known. He is known to these people. And it's just, he's tried to help these people. They know him. And then all you can hear whispering through the crowd, hey, isn't that old Joe and Mary's boy? You know, this is one thing we must separate within ourselves. God was fully man and he was fully God. And sometimes we have to slow ourselves down. But God in his human reasoning, how much that must have hurt him. When he just raised some from, someone from the dead and over here he hears, well look at old Joe's boy go. You know, it just, it couldn't be me just, dude, you're gone. There is no record of you. You, uh, you're, you're done. You're done. That had to hurt. Because he, this is where he has given his life's work and passion. And if I believe the Bible, that he was tempted at all points as we are tempted, this would hurt me. So therefore, if the Bible is correct, and I say that respectively, it hurt him when he is doing everything he can to help these cities. And it's just, eh, so what? Here's one thing I didn't know until I studied this lesson. Studies have shown that when we are physically wounded and when we are rejected, the same area of the brain is affected. So when we have been really, really rejected, that is why we have heard people say, you know, that really hurt. Well, apparently that's why. Because the same area of the brain has been affected. Now, let's go one step further. If the same area of the brain is affected, if you physically wound yourself, what do you do? You take care of that wound. You have to doctor that wound. You have to put medicine on that wound. You have to care for that wound. All right, let's go spiritually with that. If the same area of the brain is affected when you are physically rejected, that's why I said, be the tough guy. If you do not doctor, spiritually doctor that wound, then you're not going to recognize that wound after a while. Jesus prayed, if we do not go to God in prayer and physically, spiritually Take care of that wound. We're liable not to recognize it. None of us 
is exempt. He preached in Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, yet he was rejected there. Now, not everyone is going to accept us. It's actually unbiblical to think everyone will. That's not even Bible. God told us a long time ago, they're not going to accept us. Everyone is not going to accept us. That's just a truth. Not everyone is going to accept us. And then the Bible actually says this. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. If no one, if no one is speaking ill of you, then I would wonder why. Because one week... As today we celebrate Palm Sunday, there, Hosanna, Hosanna. But what a difference a week made. For then the next week, they crucified him. So that's why the, what they mean is what uh, if woe, and when, anytime the Bible uses the word woe, it's, it's, it's for a purpose. It says, woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you. Now, Isaiah says it like this. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it was our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days... Rise again. Even when he, when Jesus faced this foretelling of himself, he knew this. Of all the religious leaders that was of that day, Jesus knew they was all going to reject him. Like it was like you're part of a system, and every high level of that system is going to reject you. It's like I don't stand a chance. Everyone here in authority of this system is going to reject me. But yet he kept on. He didn't keep him. But it did not keep him from experiencing frustration in that. He was human. It's, the Bible says... For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as, like as we are yet without sin. Now, I believe literally sometimes we must stop whatever we're in because it, it, it has been said just like Brother Toby just spake. And just said, I guess all children go through this. My parents just don't understand what I'm in. And sometimes that grows on up and we never get out of that. And we think spiritually sometimes that if, if you're into something, you know, and we've all said, I've had things, you've had things, that hey, I didn't ask for this. It just landed on my doorstep. And it doesn't seem to want to go away. 
But the thing of it is, we must take the Bible at full value. And the Bible says he was tempted in all points. But we tell ourselves at times, yes, but he was God. And we just, you know, this is our situation, but he was God. And we have got to stop long enough and just say, you know what? The Bible says in his flesh, every situation that I'll ever be in, God knows. I can't let him being God interfere with the flesh of what I'm in. Because I believe the enemy will use that against us. Because you'll be thinking the whole time, God, he can do anything. But it is the flesh that was tempted in all points as we are. God knows he's walked in your shoes. He knows exactly what we are experiencing. He knows the fears, the disappointments. If we believe the Bible, you must believe this scripture that he was tempted in all points and we just feel like screaming sometimes if somebody could just understand where I'm at, where there is. And it's not God, it is the flesh of Jesus Christ that knows where we're at. Because he, because that is why I believe that this verse is in front of the next verse. That is why this verse leads into let us therefore come boldly. Now you're walking into the holy place. Let us come boldly. Now, in the Old Testament, you know what that meant. You was killed. Come boldly to the throne of grace. But now God is saying, therefore, since I know what it's like, to be in your situation. Therefore you are welcome. To come into my presence. Because God really, really understands. You're not dealing with someone that just. It's just hearing you out. You're just on the couch. Flat back and just. Paying $200 an hour just to hear you rattle. You have to make yourself believe and understand if you've ever believed the Bible, believe this, that God really does understand. Now, the challenge is to believe that God never will forsake us. He won't leave us. He's through us in every season of rejection that's going to come our way. We need to encourage ourselves with the scriptures. Read it. God is in control. Every time we are rejected, God is there. Moses, one of the greatest leaders of the Bible that the world has ever seen, was quite an undertaking to lead millions to do this. It was not easy for him to gain the respect of Israel. Therefore, hey, we know where you've grew up. You've grew up in the palace. So don't tell us about making bricks. So therefore, it was hard for Moses to gain that respect. Yet, he had to do it. God helped him. So it was just hard to do, the feelings of rejection. But I tell you, here's one thing, here's one thing that I think about, and I, I don't think I've never said this. Here is Moses, and he's taken, and the Bible says from the age of 20 years up, 
died. So God is saying, I will take the youth and I'll lead them to the promised land. But the day that Moses gathered the congregation and says, I will not be going with you to the promised land. The youth that heard that with their ears, I wonder what it must have stung in them that heard their parents say, you know what? This Moses must think he's something because, oh yeah, God said, I'll know Moses face to face. Miriam and Aaron started this. God said, you knew Moses was special to me. You read it in your Bible. And you run your mouth against him. I'll put the leprosy on you. And those that had murmured and complained against Moses. God said, I tell you what. If you're over 20, you're dead. You're just the walking dead. I'll get rid of you. But only to stand, their children to stand. And hear Moses say, out of the frustration at one moment of trying to lead these people, God said, you can't go. And then they hear that only to think within themselves, we was lied to. Our parents was not right. Moses, of all these years of wondering, this man did what he was supposed to. After the years of rejection, the youth heard Moses say, I can't go with you because God is no respecter of persons. When I smote that rock the second time, I sealed my fate. God still loved him, but God won't show no favoritism to nobody. So when it come time, the youth went in, led by Joshua, not Moses. But I wonder what it must have felt like to the youth when they heard Moses say, I can't go with you. So he took Moses. Here's another thing. When Moses come down from the mountain with the law, he had taught Israel to worship. Literally, Israel, they caught Moses going. It is almost comedic. Here is his brother, the priest. I just took the gold. I just threw it in there, man, and it just out pops his calf. It's amazing. And Moses like, you knew better than this. You knew better than this. The people just wanted to feed that flesh. Just So Moses, here again, he's just rejected. And he didn't take it too well. So this is the way I would put it. You want to feed your flesh? I will feed your flesh. So he literally ground it up, and what did he do? He fed their flesh because he made them drink it. The best thing that we can do with, with people that has rejected us is do just what Moses did. He returned back to the mountain, and that is for what us to do. It is to help us. Now, prior to the anointing of Saul was the, as being the first king of Israel, Samuel, and I believe this is an outlet for the people of God. And I believe this goes to 
uh, this can be used. I think it should be used in witnessing. I think it should be used in every facet. God has given us an outlet. And I think Samuel was a type. Because Samuel was so hurt when the people. But we have no record of Samuel going and crying to anybody but the Lord. When the people come to him and told him, said, you know, we love you, Samuel, basically. But you know what? We've took our eyes and looked at the world. And we want a king like the world. And Samuel is thinking, you have a king. You have a king. You don't need a king like the world. Quit looking at the world for your example. And then Samuel is thinking, man, you're old, Samuel. You're old. We love you. You've served your purpose, but we want another. And Samuel goes to the Lord. And here is my point. God tells Samuel, they hadn't rejected you. They've rejected me. That's why I think he took the pressure off of Samuel and took and put it on himself. That's why in witnessing, you know, I don't never tell someone, well, this is what I think. No, this ain't about me. When I'm witnessing or I'm trying to explain uh, something that we deem doctrinal or, or why do you do this? I do this because of the word of God. It's not what Kenneth thinks. This ain't got nothing about what I think. This is about thus saith the Lord. If you want to argue, I'm down the road. This is about thus saith the Lord. And if somebody wants to go and take that further, no. If you want to reject it, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting the one that inspired this holy word. And I believe God does that and has did that through Samuel and put that in his word to give us an outlet. Because if we walked around thinking, what's wrong with you? Man, I can't talk to nobody. Everybody rejects me. It's not you. It's not you. We're just a representative of the truth. That's why I've said for years, I am not the truth. This is the truth. I'm a representative of the truth and try to do it the best way I can. Your fight's not with me, I tell them. Your fight's not with me. Your fight's with the Lord. And you better watch out because you will lose. Now, Samuel found his place. He prayed he, he told him, I believe that was such a comfort to Samuel when God told him this. I really, really believe it. David, he experienced his fair amount of solitude, but he, he enjoyed favor. But the one rejection we read about in Scripture is when David's own son tried to overthrow him. And I'm sure... Like, David, if you was king, you would expect it from someone else. You're just what I was expected. But from an own family member, this had to hurt. This had to hurt severely. It's like, David, there's someone out there that's coming to overthrow. Okay. We prepare for this. We do drills for this. Um, by the way, it's Absalom. No. No. It can't be. It can't be. 
So this hurt. This hurt. This had to hurt. So he took, God was at work behind the scenes. It was a dark day for David. The Bible says, Lord, how they are increased that trouble me. Many rise up against me. And then may there be what say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But David didn't quit there. Before he descended in total despair, David went on to express his great confidence in the God that had not forgotten him. This was his words. But thou, O Lord, thou art a shield for me, my glory, a lifter of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and thou heard me out of his holy hill. I lay me down and sleep. I awaken, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon my upon the, the cheekbone, for thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessings is upon thy people. Now in our day, and I say this respectively, that don't make much of an impact on us. But in the day this was written, when he's talking about, I will not be afraid of thousands of people in being able to lay down and to go to sleep and rest, that was a very good feat. Because when you could lay down and go to sleep and not worry about your throat being cut, That was peace. That was a peace only God could bring. And he did it. Now, God lifted his head. The Bible declares us another scripture. That if it's, if it's not marked in one of your Bibles, eh, it probably is marked in two or three of your Bibles. There is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you or allow you to be tempted above that you are able but with the temptation, temptation make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. There is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. Nobody likes to be singled out. Nobody. That's why I've said all my life, you're not being picked on. We are not being picked on. But such is common to man, to humanity. This is just life. It is just hypnotic. It is just happening. Now, prayer, when we are rejected, we do just like the Lord did. We go to the Lord. We pray. It's important. We really and truly, regardless of our character, our attitudes, we all want to be accepted. We all want to be accepted by others and feel loved and appreciated. But at times we're not. And sometimes we can bring that on ourselves. Sometimes we don't ask for it. We're just rejected. So it's just at them times of rejection, the Lord is the one that we should go to. Now, I want to finish 
with about someone that really, really knows rejection. I want to speak of some characters of Jacob, Laban, Rachel, and Leah. And the one I want to focus on is Leah. The Bible speaks of her as being tender-eyed, that is just, as we would put it, um, when you look up the translation, it just means weak-eyed. Um, when it speaks of Rachel, it just says she was um, beautiful and well-favored. So if you take, and a lot of this, well, I'm really wrong in that statement. I would say none of this that happened to Leah was her fault. She just happened to be born to Laban. She was older than Rachel. So in the way they did things at that time, the custom, she just happened to be there. So Jacob, when he seen Rachel, I don't know if he seen Leah, the tender-eyed babe, or if he seen beautiful Rachel. Hey, blame it on men. Who would you choose? The tender-eyed babe or the beautiful woman? Just call that a fault in men. But the Bible says he loved Rachel. But I want to show you the character of this woman that the world says had a flaw. So he takes, the Bible says, you know what? Laban comes up. Now, I don't know what would happen if this was today. If a father says, you know what? You want my beautiful daughter? You work for her seven years. And, they go, and wow, she's not that beautiful. <laughs> the Bible says to Jacob, literally, I'm in the Bible. I'm going I'm to put a little humor in it, but I'm in the Bible. It was but just a few days. Okay? He fulfilled his contract. But Laban was a little more smarter than Jacob. He let his sight deceive him. So the next morning he wakes up, realize he's been tricked. It's Leah. So here again, she didn't ask for this. Jacob's hatred of Leah starts growing. I didn't want you. I didn't ask for you. But here you are. So he takes, and Laban says, well, the deal was seven years. So you know what? If you want Rachel. And the Bible don't say it was but a few days. The Bible says he fulfilled her week. He worked seven more years. It don't say it was but a few days again. I believe the hatred affected Jacob. Seven years. It wasn't but a few days. It was seven years. So in that time, here is Leah. She has a son, and she takes 
And you know, I believe she really wasn't fooled. The Bible says that she became pregnant by Jacob, had a son, called his name Reuben. And Leah said, it's because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely, this is in the Bible, surely my husband will love me now. But Jacob did not. So as time goes on, she conceived again and gave birth to a son. And then she called his name Simeon. It says, because the Lord has heard that I'm not loved. But Jacob still wouldn't love his wife, Leah. So time still goes on. Jacob still hates her. Time goes on. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to the third son, she said, at last, my husband will love me, seeing I have bore him three sons. And so she names him Levi, which means attached. She said, my husband, see, she's after the second one. First one, she said, seeing he'll love me. The second one she said, seeing she was not loved, she said the Lord will see that I'm not loved. The third one she don't even mention love. She just said, I just want him to come attached to me. But Jacob didn't. She named him Levi. Said surely he'll just become attached to me. So he did not. So then time goes on. She conceived again, and this time Leah just says, you know what, I've just had it. I've just had it. I, will, I have been devalued by my own father. I have been hated by my husband. I have been hated by my own sister that says, you're the cause that I'm not with my husband. He had to work an additional seven years. And Leah just says, you know what? It's not about none of this. I ain't trying to please nobody else no more. This time, pure and simple. It's not even about me. This time, I will just give God the glory. So she named the fourth son Judah. So she takes, named him Judah, and then her focus become literally on that of Judah. And so through all of this, through all of this, what I want to just point out is here is a woman that had all of this go wrong. She is just dumped into it that had no say in it. Everybody's hating her because the world says she has a flaw. But what God's done in through all of this is not, not two of the greatest tribes. The two greatest tribes of Israel came not from Rachel, but came from Leah, the tender-eyed babe. Levi, the priest that would represent Israel to God, came from Leah. Judah that would come from the kings of the earth 
and would come from the Messiah himself, guess who came from Leah? So when Leah says, you know what? The world says I have a flaw. I'm done trying to please everybody else. You say I have a flaw, but I'm done trying to please everybody. I'll take this to God. And when she took this to God, God said, you know what? I will honor this. And God did. For the two greatest tribes of Israel came from Leah. And I don't think she gets enough credit for it. Literally came from this. Now, the last thing I want to leave you with is this. And speaking of that thought, in 126 Psalms, it says, when the Lord, this is there, speaking of the psalm, when the, the children of Israel comes back from the captivity of Babylon. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Babylon, we, we were like them that dream. In other words, in our expression to us in this day, it would be like it was a dream come true. And then the verse that we quote all the time is the fifth verse, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. So I believe what Leah did in all reality. When she was thrust into this and everybody's saying, you have a flaw. The fourth child, Judah, Leah went and prayed and watered that prayer with the moisture from her soul. And God honored it even till today. Hallelujah. Let's stand. God bless you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.